to another episode of Inspire AD, and we are entering what has become a cursed episode. I think we've tried to record this particular episode four times. Yep. And How, I, howdy. Howdy. <laughs> I think uh, I think we might be treading on some cursed soil. I think it might have something to do with a certain name that I'm mentioning. Oh, probably. It may be. Yeah. That may be it. Yeah. So, when last we left off, a hush had fallen over Marquesa, and we were celebrating the conclusion of what would become our flagship show, Ecstasy of Gold. Here we are, mopping up, not really celebrating in any sort of glory, probably gnashing our teeth respectively as we yelled across the hall to one another about what we thought went well and what we thought went wrong. I was in a particularly nasty mood as I tend to dwell on negatives, and I was really super pissed because of one guy by the name of Darren Childs who saw fit to tweet about spoilers during our show ironic because he sort of publicly boasted about how he didn't really care about our show didn't care about what we were doing didn't pay attention obviously that was a flagrant lie yeah, must have picked something up in the dirt sheets that day yeah had been right yeah he he took it upon himself to tweet that matthew palmer would be revealed as void and I'm pretty sure that he did this because I had been invited on a podcast with Biss by our friend Joe, Voices of Wrestling. Yep. Joe Lanza, Rich Crate, to, to this day, still running strong. Yeah, Joe was great. Joe Joe was an intimidating force. I remember when I first noticed him at our shows, he was always sitting in the back with his arms crossed, looking very <laughs> serious, very studious. That's very Joe, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't tell if he hated our shows or not, so I was really surprised when I found out that he actually really liked our shows, and when we went on the show to promote Ecstasy of Gold, he paid me what is still singularly the greatest compliment I've ever received, which was he called me the second coming of a young Gabe Sapolsky. He said that my booking was very logical and circular, and uh, he was impressed by the fact that we we stuck to so many angles and that everything built upon the last thing that he had seen. Um, anyway, prior to me going on the show, Darren had been on Formspring, which may or may not exist anymore. <laughs> we'll give him the plug either way. Further proof of the the Darren Child's curse, potentially. <laughs> yes. uh, Darren would often go on Formspring and ask himself questions anonymously, I'm convinced. All the questions were always like, God damn damn, Darren, how are your eyes so fucking beautiful? I can't stand it. It was always shit like that, right? It wasn't the legions of his female fans asking those questions, Max? No. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm being spiteful. Yeah. Or his male fans, you know. It could, Either yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, he had on one, it got back to me that he had said on one of his, uh, on one of his his springs. The springs, yes. <laughs> he said that Inspire Pro was the Pop Warner to his NFL, which was preposterous at the time. Laughable even, but that was something that made me angry um, when I first heard it. Because in all earnest, we were throttling them at that point. Yeah, and quite a few people that candidly speak back on the time. Uh, that was the time period where that company drastically changed and you started to see a lot of their attendance dip and all that. So, yes, quite the grasping at straws, desperation, shit talking. See, this will probably object to this, but I seem to recall at the very onset of us starting this company, there was some bitterness on your part toward Darren and it seemed to kind of ebb as we continued on as we found our footing as we found our identity as we continued to succeed i felt like you your anger toward him really diminished yes well yeah absolutely and it was twofold a lot of people forget the hate that josh had for darren and by a lot of people i mean me and you um but josh was very uh slighted Spite by spiteful, darren yeah. spiteful and he had been slighted by darren on multiple occasions 
So Josh was always this constant, like, fuck Darren voice as well. So I think some of that gets transferred over to me. But yeah, as we had more success, uh, it definitely became less and less important to me what he had to say or what his weird, like, jab shenanigans were. Yeah, my my position was always, I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to be creative. And hey, maybe one day our roads will meet. We'll do something cool together. That was not his position. He was, Darren was continually slagging our company. For a guy that didn't care that we existed, he always had an opinion available about what we were doing. And so while Biss's resentment was on the way out, I think mine was really fucking swelling. And I was getting really angry. And when he made that Pop Warner comment... That stuck in my craw, and while we were on Joe's show to promote Ecstasy of Gold, Joe, I think, knew what he was doing. Oh, absolutely. He asked me a very loaded question. He said, so is this show actually going to start on time? Because there are promotions that I won't name that put on shows, and they keep their fans waiting in the beating Texas sun. They don't necessarily deliver what they promise. And I boldly piped up with... No, we are a professional wrestling company. We call ourselves professional because we run professionally. I didn't name anybody, but Homeboy knew that I was talking about him. And so he decided to talk about uh, the Void Matthew Palmer thing on social media and spoil it for people that had actually paid for tickets. And that really pissed me off. And that's why I was grinding my jaw as we huffed bleach after ecstasy of gold i couldn't really focus on the the positives because someone had done something so spiteful to shit on my creativity and trying to uh produce a moment that i just wanted people to really enjoy in my mindset in that time was was not completely different but a, a different wavelength right for me ecstasy of gold i had talked about earlier you know three three shows with my friends that were actually fun until I rode off in the sunset, right? This was a show where it was on a different level and it became painfully obvious that there was a spot to be kind of that, that front runner in Texas and to be that, that show that presented matches like Hero and Row and, and the marquee matches in Texas and to really showcase Texas talent. So for me, it was more of an epiphany of oh, shit, uh, I've got to step up my yeah. game. Um, we, we've we got to keep this ball rolling because uh, we're we're the, the main dog now. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit of my, my mindset at the time. Some people have asked, I want to go into this just a little bit and I'll keep it short, but some people have asked for details as far as the running of the company. This show would have... Uh, cost at least a thousand dollars into uh into my pocket right and at the same time josh is paying for insurance josh isn't getting that insurance money back you're basically working around the clock to promote and do creative and get everything ready all three of us were putting so much into these shows and this really felt like the one where oh shit we can we can turn the corner and there's multiple reasons for that i i have to give some clarity and uh, hopefully understanding to people who don't understand what a show day is like. You show up at 11, you hopefully get into the building if, say, the people who are running the building aren't too hungover to fucking show up. So I walk into the hall, the chairs are there, ready to be set up, we're waiting for Jack to show up with the ring, and usually that day starts at about, I don't know, 7 a.m. for me, getting the scripts ready. And then arriving at the venue, and then setting up everything, and then going over what you're supposed to be doing with the wrestlers as they arrive, and uh, it's 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 all day being on your feet, and yes. uh, and into the night after everybody leaves. That's not when the show ends for us. We are processing and cleaning up, and uh, we're not really you know we're not we're not like going off to the Hyatt and doing cocaine with. The guests we flew in, and, you know, it, uh, there's there's no, no rock star element to this. It's mainly f 
for us about creative gratification and giving back to this thing that we really love. That's really what I wanted to do. I mean, you have people that are discarded as marks, money marks in the business. I mean, I know I've invested, you've invested way more than I ever did, but I've, you know, I, I put in a, a good penny. And the rock star moment comes the next morning at like 6 a.m. when you have to drive that person to the airport, right? In a quiet car because they're exhausted and you're exhausted. So, yeah, there, there's your quiet moment with the superstar, right? Yeah, yeah. which are which are always very, very yeah. human. Not, I, I love those moments. Yeah, not that uh, I dislike those, but at the same time, right? It's not, you're not parting. It's not get him to the Greek, you know? No, it's like you go to Whataburger. <laughs> and and you feel very uneasy. <laughs> I think I think every time that I've had that weird quiet moment with somebody that I really admire has been at Whataburger, and it's always in some really horrible <laughs> part of town because they're staying at the cheapest fucking motel. Sorry, and you're but... just you're just waiting for like the World Star graphic to pop up in the bottom <laughs> corner of your periphery because you're just you're in a bad place. It's a really like the seediest Whataburger, and you're just kind of sitting there having fun, jiving about stuff, and then you drop the drop them off the motel. Uh, anyway, no, yeah, I was I was angry at Darren. I was processing, um, and uh, I I was stewing. I really, I honestly, very clearly want to state that I had some delusion that at some point we would work together. I I think I did too. I think I, I thought that once the smoke cleared that there would be business there. Uh, and that was a lot of my purpose for, okay, on the on the face of it, sure, make it look like we hate each other. Maybe there can be money in that later on. But obviously, he worked himself into a shoot, brother. So, so going uh, a little bit more here, uh, speaking of those quality moments, Hero actually got stuck <laughs> in town, too. Two extra days. Yeah, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to like really go into the detail of yeah. you having to take him to sneaker shops and shit because it's kind of it's kind of yeah. dull. But, but that's uh, basically what it was, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was him. It was him talking about hip hop and sneakers, yeah. and and he was a real joy and gentleman to be around. He was nothing but incredible business. He was really flattering to us. He promoted the match once it was up. Uh, yeah. it, it, he, he was an incredible person to work with, and I believe we mentioned last show that. Um, Brandon Stroud had issue with Chris Hero, and a lot of people have asked us why. Just why did we never bring Hero back so uh, more immediately? Yes, he did eventually come back, um, but it wasn't for a little bit, and that was mainly because we had a guy in our fold by the name of Brandon Stroud, who many people are aware of, who felt that Hero had tried to spirit his woman away. And he felt gravely disrespected by this. And a few people have asked me, did you reach out to Hero and clarify or fix or pave this over? And we certainly did once Stroud was gone. I think once the wool was out of our eyes and we realized what his deal was and how he really kind of inhibited uh, us from being more valuable at times, yeah. we did reach out to Chris and pave over the damage, I like to think. And we really did want to bring him back, but there is a reason that never happened. Yeah. So by the time that we were able to, to smooth things over, we were working on a return date. And it just, it was butting right up against his return to Florida. So we never got a chance to make that uh, right and bring him back, which is still kind of a regret of mine. But um, again, very damaging part of that relationship. The, the other person that we were unable to book that hurt my feelings personally because I really enjoyed this person, for the longest time, um, there was a beef between Stroud and Colt Cabana. You remember that? Yeah. Over some dumb Internet joke. argument. Yeah. yeah. Which completely interfered with Cabana's livelihood, and Stroud didn't understand why he couldn't take the joke. Well, yeah, because you're telling people not to book him and that's how he makes his living but yeah that was another one that i was happy to finally be able to reach out and go hey cabana was someone i really wanted to work with uh in spite of the fact that i w was sort of renowned for razzing him at shows i still enjoyed him and thought 
he was a really nice guy to be around and talk to. He, there's just something very bright about his energy. Yeah, Colt, Colt got me out of the Nasty Boy situation, so I'll forever be grateful to him for that. Uh, I was the person <laughs> directly trying to coordinate that when that happened, and he was the one that actually wrangled them so i'm very happy Ooh, for that boy one one of these one of these episodes we're going to have to go into me yelling at the nasty yeah. boys we uh, both we both have good history <laughs> with the nasty boys and it's like it's one of the most like talked about stories around which is weird just on a really dumb idea one night and then the other thing is whenever he was in town and did well in merch he always took care of everybody bought drinks bought whatever food he's a, he's, he's really a, nice he's guy a sweetheart man yeah. uh anyway is there anything that occurred between the end of this and our next event, other than anxiety over delivering something that was on par? I think that was the main. The main thing was just okay. Now it's at a different level, and yeah. how are we going to top this? I think we'd gotten to where we sort of wanted to be. We wanted to either top it or at least remain consistent. We didn't want to dip. And we we sort of at this point, this is what I kind of begrudgingly referred to as the XXD error. That we go into over these next few shows. I don't want to. I don't want to define it as the XXD era. I like to think that XXD was sort of the turd in the punch bowl. Yes, so to speak. Yes, as you will see coming up here. Yeah, I don't even want to say that because it implies that it ruined a lot of stuff. But it, it certainly did affect our vision of the overall quality of the shows. Yes. That that was my main problem with it. Anyway, we'll get we'll get into that in a bit, but um, we are now going to discuss Light the Fuse, February 16th, 2014, at the Marquesa Holland Theater, now and forever. Uh, yeah, anyway, I, I have fond recollections of this show, though there were some uh, rather dramatic moments that occurred, <laughs> uh, particularly revolving around... The, one of the individuals in this first match. Do you, you want to let's jump into that and then we can get into the show because I think it kind of sets the tone for where we were at the start of the show and then where we got to by the end. Yeah, I spent a lot of time often rebuffing criticism from people who said that they didn't like what they were doing creatively. This always really made me bristle because I saw people going to shows in fuck Texas doing the dumbest fucking shit I've ever seen. I, I saw people doing things that didn't matter. And maybe that's why they were more critical of us and me in particular. Maybe it was because they knew that what they were doing with us perhaps mattered more. I appreciate that in hindsight. However, I had a design for this company where I eventually wanted to get into... Uh, trios stuff i wanted to set up a trios title i'm a huge fan of trios wrestling i love trios wrestling with lucha rules i love triple a and this i believe was one of the shows where i really began to start to push trios style factions yeah. so we had come out of the title tournament so now this is okay fleshing what is, in, what fleshing is in the, the other, company, right? Yes, fleshing yeah, out that, the other titles that we were potentially going to build toward. And this this was definitely a major topic of some of our first creative conversations yeah. was, was the idea of this trios, at least feuds, if not eventually a title. I think, we even, uh, I think we even had a moment where I suggested that we don't do tags, but we do trios. And that I think I think that was something that you and I kind of pushed back yeah, and forth on. Yeah, that... that because I, I'm much more of the, I hate to say it, but I guess more of the traditionalist. Uh, I enjoy. That's accurate. I enjoy the straight. I enjoy a one-on-one -on -one main event. I enjoy. You just two want on two. you just want Terry Gordy and Bruiser Brody <laughs> yeah. knocking the shit out of each other yes. in black trunks, and that's it. Yeah, no, I want that. I also want somebody in you know, orange and green tights to to wrestle them to give a little bit of color. You, you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, one of the factions that I had sort of, I had designed was based around Robert Evans, Matthew Palmer, and uh, Franco D'Angelo. And I had this idea, not necessarily based on the fact that they'd work together. Of course, they'd work together. But when someone works together and you see that they have really good chemistry, that's often something that you really want to revisit. Yes. 
And a lot of people knew that Matt had history with uh, Robert because they had had a feud and they'd done work together in ACW. So, so some of the some of the fans were aware of that. I had seen some stuff where Franco had worked with Robert up in the Dallas area, and I really loved that bot that bodyguard angle. I really loved their chemistry, and so I really wanted to loop them all together. And so. Before the show, I have Robert Evans pull me into a room to, to discuss with me the idea of us putting all three of these guys together. And he was gravely unhappy. Would you say that's fair? Yes. Yes. And he, I believe, actually called me unprofessional. I don't remember that, but the mind frame he was in, I wouldn't be surprised. He told me I was unprofessional for not running the angle by him. Foremost, the thing that he said that pissed me off, and I'll say I was pissed. I was pissed. And I also remember, by the way, Palmer just kind of standing by and sitting in the corner with his head hung. Yes. <laughs> he was, I think he was, I, I can't really speak to his frame of mind, but he seemed a little, he seemed, he seemed bummed. Yeah. This was an angle that I had actually spoken to Palmer, uh, uh, spoken to Palmer with about at great length. Uh, and he seemed to enjoy it, even though Palmer is not a factions guy. I think he was excited to work with people that he really loved. Yeah. And so Evans pulls me into the hall where we typically do photography. And he tells me that he's offended and that it was unprofessional of me to bring him to Texas without telling him what he was going to do. And I immediately fired back that if it was such a grave concern that before he got on the plane, he should have made sure that he knew what he was doing. I said that if the creative is so clutch that before you accept the booking, know what you're going to do. And I also commented that he had not actually reached out to me, and I asked him if Matthew had actually spoken to him regarding the angle, and he said yes. And then Robert fired back, uh, doing one of his little zen poses. <laughs> And he said something to the effect of, you cannot bank on history, you can't expect people to know this or that. And I said, that's a funny turnaround from the last time you were here where I asked you to speak in front of the crowd with Jojo Bravo. And you said it wasn't, a, he said it wasn't necessary because that everybody was already familiar with him. So to me, it seemed kind of to contradict his previous stance where he just, it, to me, I got the impression that he just didn't want to listen to me. And I will say, the person that should have gone over what was happening with Robert was me. I was the one doing the business with Robert. But at this point, and I had worked with Robert for a while at this point, correct? But I was bringing Robert in as a guest, as a flying guest. I approached him very similar how I would with Chris Hero, how I would with Chuck Taylor. And maybe in hindsight, knowing Robert, I should have been more detailed with him. Uh, to your point, though, the angle was gone over with him, just not by one of us. And if there was concern, there was no, nothing was nothing was to voiced us, to right? us beforehand. Oh. It was very much an eleventh hour bucking. He threw a shoe. Um, I know that Robert is somebody who is a very deeply creative person. I will say that I think Robert Evans is a genius. I think he is creatively. One of the greatest minds in professional wrestling today. I wish he were doing more. Uh, I don't. I, I don't. I don't. I think that his stuff in Ring of Honor was fantastic. I know he was doing the streak for yeah. a while. And this was this was actually tied into what we did here tonight. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I uh, I was very excited to work with him. He was like one of the guys that made me want to start a company, and I really wanted to work with him. I remember at one point as we were kind of. I needed to go do stuff. I was kind of like, this is, this is, look, you're doing what's on paper. I'm sorry. That's the way it works. If you had a problem, you should have said something about it, you know, over here, not now. And I said, people are going to eat it up, man. People are going to love it. Just, just, just roll with it. And he said, well, of course people are going to love it. Look who's involved. And then it's like, no irony. <laughs> and I said, cool, let's, let's do it. And of course, we go into the first match of this show, uh, which was Robert Evans defeating Ray Rowe. This, I think, also 
exhibits the pattern of show that we wanted to put on going yes. forward. And and we kind of picked this up from last show, right? Yeah. Where we wanted to start with something that was just a banger right out of the gate. Yeah. Um, just to, to wrap up there, I, in hindsight, wouldn't I personally have handled things a little bit different? Yes. Of course. Um, we both would was be. Robert an extremely strenuous point mentally at this point. Yes. Um, and Hey, we have all the respect in the world for the guy, but it just, unfortunately on this night didn't all come together. So then we come into the match. The match is Robert Evans and Ray Rowe, which at this point, both guys are on ring of honor. Uh, both guys are, are ascending at this point. And the match was fucking amazing. Yeah, it was great. It, it of course begins with this amazing overture, this musical <laughs> cue that goes on forever. I yes. want to say it went on for maybe at least eight I think minutes. Eight minutes. Yeah. I think eight minutes was the point of the actual entrance. At first, you know, raising the ring, Robert's music hits, and it goes on and on. And it, it, some people are starting to kind of stir in the crowd and go, what's going on? But it went on so long that it reaches a point of absurdity and people are just laughing. Um... I will say that this match exhibits exactly what we always want out of the opening of our show. I learned a while back that I didn't want to start shows with talking unless it was something huge. We wanted to always have our first match basically set the energy level, basically light the crowd on fire, and really just get everybody on their feet. Because I realized like, people come to a wrestling show to see wrestling. They don't come to see people talk. God willing, you you get you know a promo out and it, it you know advances stuff, but bury it somewhere deeper in the show. Don't 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 lead with talking because if you are lucky enough to get a new fan in the door, someone who's potentially a new fan in the door, someone who's never been to a live wrestling event, don't start with talking. Start with a hot match and start with something that's main event quality. Don't put don't put you know. The scrubs out there to roll around. The, the guys that came and helped set up the ring. <clears throat> Basically. No, I mean, and not to disparage anybody coming to help set up a ring, because God knows it's needed, but, you know. Yeah. People that, people that people know, and people that you know you can count on. Yeah, basically, you always have one opportunity to impress a new set of eyes at the start of the show, come out swinging. And that's what we did here. And that's just something important to mention because going forward, I think we kind of keep with this model. Yes. So after that is a very divisive match for the two of us, I believe. Well, <laughs> anyway, Robert Evans defeats Ray Rowe. He defeats them with the aid of Matthew Palmer and Franco D'Angelo. And the crowd goes nuts for this, this reveal of this faction. And it's... Uh, it's a lot of fun. Robert comes back through the, the curtain and asks me if I'm happy. I don't think he was happy, but I said, he did great. It's brilliant. I loved it. And he said, I think the crowd really loved it. He kind of softened, I think, a yeah. little bit at that point. After that, once we had a little bit of discussion over what he, he, he had done out there. Yeah. But yeah, that was that was a great match. The promo promo was amazing, true yes. professional through and through. Um, yeah, and I would agree. I think he nailed it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Robert Evans. He didn't want to do and, it, but he nailed yeah. it. And and part of the thing that that disappointed me here was I knew how big of a, a fan of Robert Evans you were before working. So the fact that there was this weird, you know, roughness to how everything went down. I was I was disappointed in because I I wanted my experience. I wanted your experience with him to be what my original experience with Robert was, which was just this great creative mind and and working together. But savisavi. Yes. Anyway, next we go into the culmination (laughs) of an angle that Biss is has been very vocal about hating, (laughs) but that I still maintain uh, was fucking fire. I won't say that it wasn't funny because it it was funny. It's just like you talked about it. It, it wasn't my cup of tea, but I, I'll give you the floor on this one. <clears throat> well, I mean, this is this is a bit of a, it's 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 definitely a different match 
than uh, a lot of other stuff on the card. I always love to kind of produce the wrestling equivalent of a poo platter. I love to do the Halloween Havoc 95 card where there's a little bit of something different for everybody. And uh, initially, the guy that played Raphael Sistine was a dude who was brought to me, and I was said, hey, can you do something for this guy? It was Josh's friend, yeah. Bryce. And, uh, right, funny guy too. Funny guy, yeah. When you and and I didn't really know the extent of his ability. Um, he didn't appear to be in overly great shape. Um, I didn't know what to expect, but I crafted something that I thought was fun, and that really played on the idea of creating a wrestling equivalent of Mr. Blackwell, a guy who, for many shows. Went on commentary, talked shit on the audience, attacked people for having what he perceived to be sub subpar imagery. Like he was, he was, he attacked people for having crappy gear, basically. That's show it. show yeah. after show. Okay, so, and leading up to this match, which was with Alexander Rudolph, who had kind of a, a, a Bruiser Brody uh, Viking style gimmick. Yeah, he w- I think he was the Viking. Alexander Rudolph, right? Yeah. Something uh, along those Rudolph, lines. And Rudolph looked great here. He had yeah. kind of peaked, I think, physically. Yeah, here. he was working his ass off. Yeah, he looked amazing here. Um, but this was billed as being this match where Raphael Sistine was going to debut this incredible set of gear. And the whole joke was that when he came out, it he was going to be wearing the most absurd, fucking ugly <laughs> thing that you've ever seen. I mean, and he had... And he, and he, and he did. He had, like... He had, like, fringe on his arms that was all the way to the floor. He had a giant collar that went up past his head almost. And he was, it was zebra stripe, zebra stripes and rainbows and just, just a total, uh, vomitous nightmare (laughs) of gear. But it was amazing looking. And he also came out with Dress to Kill, which was Dylan Dunbar, who now runs Heavy Metal Wrestling. And, uh, the other guy's name, who I hate, what's his Uh, name? Donnie Brooks. Yeah, Donnie Brooks. Donnie Brooks. Fuck that guy. I hate that guy. I think everybody does now. Yeah, but, but anyway, so oh, Alexander's in the room. Begrudgingly, I will say, Donnie Brooks was amazing in this. We gave him a different name. He's yeah, yeah. He was one of the highlights of the oh, entrance. What was his name? Oh God, it was some. He was like a hairdresser. Yeah, he was a hairdresser. But yeah, I forget what we called him. Yeah, but um, so one of the the way that I designed this entrance was he comes out, Sistine comes out, and when he comes out, he has dressed to kill behind him with a leaf blower blowing. <laughs> his fringe in the air and um while i know that you hated this angle i remember you laughing your ass off it, when you it actually, was funny it was very funny it was very funny and the match the match was very quick it wasn't it wasn't overly drawn out yeah i, I want to say maybe about eight minutes tops yeah my friend sean carpetbagger oftentimes says that matches do not need to be you know classics sometimes you can have matches some some matches can yeah. can you know, be a quick squash. And this is very much what this was intended to be. Yeah. It was a quick match. Basically a three-on-one match is what it became. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Alexander killed everybody, and uh, that was that. And we were going to do more with Raphael, but um, we had some problems with an angle that I had designed. (laughs) That uh, Should we get into that now, man? Does that... Yeah, we can get into that. So... um, Brooks and Dunbar had uh, an angle designed where they were, I think, mortally offended by the content. Um, I'm trying to think of if, if, if I don't think we have time to go into this, but we'll go into it. We'll go yeah. into it soon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But this this is was this the last appearance of Sistine? Yes. Yeah. That yeah, was he it. He never came back after this. The the, the payoff the <laughs> payoff was fine. Really. Rudolph beat his ass, kicked him out the door, and off he went. Fuck it, I'm going to go into it. Josh Montgomery, owner, uh, co-owner with us of Inspire Pro, uh, came up with Bryce, and I think that he saw what the company had become, and he was really eager to wrestle in front of that crowd and kind of deliver a swan song, I think. And I decided to kind of create a gimmick around Josh. And the storyline was going to be that Josh really wanted to wrestle in front of his grandfather before his grandfather died. And so Josh was going to come out and wrestle various people uh, over a period with his grandfather in his corner. And we had an actual makeup person yeah. there that was going to put uh, one of the workers in, in makeup, old age makeup. 
and they were going to sit in a wheelchair. And as Josh struggles, at some point, the ref would get distracted. Uh, the grandpa would jump up and clock the opponent with an oxygen tank and then just go back to being kind of withered in his chair. Josh would never see this until like three shows in. And then this would culminate in... Uh, <laughs> this would culminate in Josh wrestling his grandfather. His grandfather <laughs> dying in the ring. Oh, my God. And then... <laughs> Uh, the wrestler coming back without the old age makeup as Josh's cousin and just managing guys to basically try and kill Josh. And uh, Dunbar and Brooks were involved in this angle and they were horribly, horribly offended. I wonder why. <laughs> it was a great angle. I still, honestly, I, I almost hate revealing it here because I have a dream of one day realizing this and I may still, who knows, but it was a, it was a fun idea and it really kind of exhibited what I wanted to do, was, which was p push the envelopes and perceptions of what professional wrestling could be. Um, anyway, Dunbar and Brooks quit after this show when they got wind of what they were going to be doing. Josh never made his wrestling debut. And, of course, Sistine never returned because things just didn't really line up or work well, out. What would have he done at that point? Right? Yeah. yeah. The, the story at that point had been completed. Well, Sistine was supposed to be involved in the grandpa. Yeah, um, but without that, there, he wasn't yeah. going to go on to manage somebody or anything like no, that. So. No, And from here, though, um, we go into something that I think is more more to your liking. Yes. Uh, World-class syndicate yes, versus right up my alley. Uh, Frankie Fisher, Gigolo James, and Scotty Santiago kind of building on this feud that Scotty had brewing with the world-class guys. This was a six-man elimination tag team match. And I believe it kind of went down to Frankie and Gigolo getting eliminated and Scotty then putting out the like, several of the members. It came down, yeah. Yeah, it comes down yeah, to... It, it comes, comes down, down to, to Scotty versus all three. Yeah, and then Scotty... Scotty actually pins two of them. He gets he gets Moonshine and he gets Reigns. And then Carson finally gets his pinfall back over Scotty. Yeah, so this is just kind of another wrinkle in that storyline. It was a great match. Um, I was a huge fan of Gigolo James. I was yes. so excited to have him there. Uh, for those that had not seen him, at this point in time, he kind of had a doughy physique. He was very pale. I believe he's half Asian. Is that correct? Yes. Which is a unique thing. You rarely see people who are either Asian or half Asian, especially in the Texas indie scene. He had a unique look. He was pale. He was pasty. But when he got in the ring, he did things I've never fucking seen before. Go back, if, if you're listening to this, Go back and search like 2004 PCW Gigolo James Johnson or 2005. Like the guy was doing just amazing things on this very like attitude error style TV wrestling TV show in Dallas. Um, and he was he was just doing things that you hadn't seen guys like that do. Um, so that was my introduction to him. And then throughout the years just coming across him and him always being a phenomenal worker so it that was dude great is, to that get dude him is a student of the game there are there are very few people that i like that i can say like i'm blown away by what they know and what they think and creatively he, he was a great mind i wish we'd been able to do more with him but we'll get into that as we move forward yes uh, instead we're going to well we let's go back here okay. there was a mike dell promo in here somewhere oh, was there but the mike dell promo where claxton comes out and says that he has dell's back Oh, this is more trios building yes. stuff. Yes, and then they they invite Ricky Starks to be part of, of the, the group trio. as well. Yes, and this Ricky Ricky Starks rebuffs them. There's a brawl between Claxton and Starks that, to me, really speaks to the value of Claxton. I just wanted to make sure that we commented on it because Claxton is a door guy, a bouncer, right? So, like me, from at that time, from this brawl. It looks like something you would see on the floor of a fucking dive bar. People, people thought it was real. It It is just amazing how real that looks and really helps put some heat on Claxton and Starks that we're going to get to later on. I just yeah, wanted to make sure we touched absolutely. on that. So, yeah, um, Ricky, Ricky 
Ricky is invited to be part of that stable and rejects it on, on the grounds that he's not interested in having the back of somebody who has something that he wants. Yeah, he wants to be the guy. Yeah, which is something I've always kind of wanted to address. I've never understood why a bunch of guys would surround some dude who has something that they want. Yeah. It, it, to me, it's almost like, oh, I'm, I've resigned to being second fiddle. And this is to say something great of Ricky's character where he just is not interested in that. He wants to attain what... Dell has that point, and so he goes, no, screw you. I'm not interested in, in you know, being held down by you so that I'm not a challenge to you. And that, that, was, that was a great promo, great pull-apart. And from here, <laughs> we go into the genesis, sort of, of yeah. the XXD movement. So we had talked about on the previous show that Stroud had basically asked me like I was central fucking casting to find three indie workers in Texas that looked like suicide girls. Wonder why the fuck that was in hindsight. Um, that he could do this bookmark angle with. Now, the the issue is, is Texas independent wrestling, especially the women's talent at the time, was not as deep as it is now. No. And even now, to, to just assume that you can find three people that generally fit the same description, you know, is very asinine, and I should have probably told him to go fuck off. But I was, we were fresh. We were in the honeymoon period, right? So one of the people um, was Lexi, Miss um, Dyslexia. Um, she went by a few different names. Yeah. Uh, Lexi Avery. Um, and she was somebody that worked with me in ACW at the very start. She had stopped wrestling to get her nursing degree, and she had just come back to wrestling. Uh, she had been around for about a year, and she fit the mold of what he was looking for. So, this match is Lexi versus Paige Turner. So, there is also a student at the APW school. Um, we refer to her as Charlie here, um, who also fits the description. So, at the start of this match, we introduce George Della Issa. Who cuts a promo, um, which is humorous to me because I don't know how many shows I went to that started with a George De La Isla promo that drove me nuts. Let's let's go into George uh, De La Isla first. Yes, uh, uh, De La Isla was an NWA wrestler, yeah, he, Mr. California. Yes, sir. And he uh, he ran a school in Austin by the name of AAPW, and a lot of the students at that point who went to AAPW would show up. To kind of learn the ropes, set up the ring, and George was highly supportive of us at, at this time. Yes. And in fact, I have to mention that at some point, he handed us the keys to his school. <laughs> but that's a tale for another yes, time. Yes, that's, that's another show in and of itself. <laughs> yes, sir. And we will probably go into that. We may even do a special edition yeah. AAPW episode. Because, <laughs> man, I've got a lot to get on get off my chest. George is still running, uh, running well, kind of uh, involved Yeah. Less and less by less the day, less, unfortunately. Yeah. But anyway, George we got up, we got up to basically health. we got George, we got George up in front of the crowd and had him kind yeah. of put us over. We put him over. He puts the school over. This is my new student, Charlie, um, who is a female student, uh, and they are going to watch this match from the the front row. Uh, the match is Lexi versus Paige Turner. Not a bad setup, by the way. I think it's not a bad setup. No. Uh, yeah. No. No. The, the execution is what my issue was. This to me, well, to me, this this whole angle, I'm just going to flat out say it. I don't give a fuck. Um, like, what's he going to come do? Yell at me? Uh, this is bad booking 101. Yes. Because the thing is, is that I think the idea was that Paige was going to conquer all of these cultural cretins and uh, yes. reform them into the bookmarks. And really, when you say, oh, the stable is called the bookmarks, you, you know, you go, oh, she's going to have a stable full of suicide girls that she, that she makes literate and we're going to call them the bookmarks. <laughs> it really doesn't go far, further than that. No, because, that's like, it. <laughs> what happens after that? Where does yeah. it fucking go? Well, we you will know? get to that. <laughs> yeah, but, but my point your, is... Your is answer that, is probably accurate at home. <laughs> yeah, but my, my point is is that, like, it doesn't go anywhere. No. It's, it's a it's a, it's a concept. It's a punchline. Yeah, it's a punchline. That's it. Once it's done, it's done. It, there's nothing circular to it. It doesn't go anywhere. Like, where do you go after that? But beyond that, like, the talent pool was just not deep enough 
to fund this idea. Um, a lot of the, the girls who were ultimately involved were very, very green. A lot of the matches were horrible, which was the exact opposite of what I wanted to present as women's wrestling. Because I didn't want to present women's wrestling at all at the, at the onset, as I yeah. mentioned. I wanted to make sure that if we did it, that it was going to be fucking good. And what we're doing now... And my point of the central casting is that instead of just going out and finding the best women wrestlers available and then booking to their strong points, what we have done is limited ourselves to an extremely small pool that we are having to fit within this category. Stupid angle. For no fucking real reason other than a punchline. Um, And that... It's centered around a girl who is has a clever gimmick that is not ready to be performing on this stage, right? I think it's fair to say that to Paige, she is too green to be on a show that has the likes of Robert Evans versus Ray Rowe, you know, um, Carson, Moonshine, Rain, Scotty. Like, there are some of the top wrestlers in Texas. ACH is on this card later on. Yeah. Um, and you're asking her to be the women's match. I don't think that was fair to her. It wasn't. It, it, cer- it certainly wasn't wasn't fair to her. And I also believe that this match happened to uh, basically serve as a means to Brandon Stroud's ulterior motives. I think it yes. is. I I think I can say this at the time. Um, Gigolo James was involved with Paige Turner. They were married. They were married. And um, I'm pretty certain that Brandon reached out to Paige in a way that was less professional. In hindsight, I know this now. I didn't know it at the time. But I I, I certainly think that he kind of... He pushed this to happen so that he could... uh, he could he could kind of sink his hooks into somebody. Yeah. And the veneer was that it was this great joke, right? Yeah. 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 So like I don't think I don't think Stroud who purports to be this massive supporter of women's wrestling really gave a shit about women's wrestling at this point. He was just using that as a cover to uh take advantage of somebody. Yeah. And Lexi was a good personal friend of mine. Yeah. This was not what she needed at the time. She no. needed to be working with more experienced girls so that she could get she could learn and she could improve. So this is a bad step, yeah. and I believe this is a bad match. It, uh, it was not a great match. No. Uh, it ends with uh, Charlie interfering on behalf of Paige. So she has joined the bookmarks, but we haven't really described why she has joined the bookmarks. She just has, for whatever reason, and cost Lexi the match, which we will stretch out into another. We had a bad match on this show. And we are using this finish to now stretch that match and redo a match that was bad on the next show. Yeah. And we'll get into that on the next episode. Uh, up next, we have a battle royal, which yes. I think, honestly, was an opportunity that I had to, to, book a, to book a woman in a way that I thought was positive. And I'm actually really proud of this battle royal. Uh, you had a weird look on your face. <laughs> this battle royal almost got me punched in the face by Ray Rowe. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And uh, I don't think I don't think that was his. <laughs> I don't think that was his place. And I think he was. Yeah. I think he was deathly wrong to do that. Yeah. Um, so go ahead, start it up. And so we I'll have in this in this in. we have uh, AJ Summers and Jared Wayne as the Pump Patrol. We have who like you know they're a tag team, but we don't have a lot of tag teams hashed out. So you got to figure out. Stuff to do with them. We have Kyle Hawk, which regrettable. Very regrettable, but do you remember the, the story around this? He had... Uh, Kyle Hawk was a mainstay in AC, mm-hmm. ACW, and he had left to uh, serve our country. Yes. And he was coming back, and I was hounded to put him on a card. I was. Yeah. And... We um, both were. I, I remember telling him, be like, and I told him directly, well, go back to ACW. Get your return, because that's where you left. They, didn't they sing the national anthem to think, him or something? I think something like that. It was that. this amazing moment, like this weird, genuine moment. Um, and, you know, sure, it's it's nice for us to get the boon of, of having him come back, because it's going to get a big pop. But at the same time, it's like, dude, go back to ACW, do it there, and then come over. But no, it was him and it was multiple other people that just hounded us mm-hmm. for him to get on this card because I think it was his first opportunity to wrestle coming back. Yeah. Um, which, 
You know, we had a battle royal, so we're I able love, to put them in. But, historically, man. I love battle royals. I have a lot of fun booking them. Uh, and while Biss typically laments the idea of them, they serve multiple functions. Yeah. Cre- creatively and budgetarily, right? Are yeah. two different things, right? Yeah. So you've got to put multiple people in one match. Um, they can at times become bloated, um, even when they're curtailed and they're they're regimented. So that my issue is more from a, a financial side than it is a creative side. We've always used battle royals, and we're going to get to a really impressive one in about three shows from now um, to really do cool creative stuff. This, this, I'll never this hold one that is, against This it. one is very strong, though. Uh, yes. And continuing, we also have Thomas Shire here. And uh, Blasphemer, who's in the black metal click with uh, Greg James, and uh, Barbie Hayden. Yes, this is Barbie's first match with us. Yes, right? and uh, I don't... Why did Ray threaten you over this? The letter. The letter, because this is Shane Taylor. Oh! This is Shane Taylor's debut with us. So Shane Taylor and Ray are basically best friends from Cleveland. Yes. And Ray took it that we were... Oh, we yeah. were taking a slight towards uh, Shane because of Shane's build. The concept was to put Shane with the Pump Patrol. Uh, Shane is a bigger guy. He's got yeah. some weight on him, and he was going to join the Pump Patrol. The Pump Patrol, by the way, at this point, were on fire. People loved They them. were over. It, they were super over. People were popping left and right for them. Uh, I believe the Pump Patrol come out, and they read a letter that they got from somebody. A fan letter. A fan letter, and it's someone who wants yeah. to get in shape. And we bring out Shane Taylor. And Shane is almost immediately over as being a third in this, which also builds yeah. the idea of uh, of, of the True trios. Yes. Um, and I loved this idea. Of course, there you know would have been this moment where Jared and AJ, after a little, a little abuse uh, down the road, get their heads clunked together like Mo Howard by Shane Taylor, who yeah. would th- then go on to be like a big face in the company. That yeah. was that was the idea behind this and where we were going with it. Yeah, and I think I think if it had been explained out, I think Ray was being overprotected, and then I think if we had expl- been able to explain everything, because it was literally in the middle of the show, like, fire went off. Um, I was not aware of this at the time. It would have, uh, yeah. it would have gone a little bit more smooth. Yeah, um, but he was on, he was on the outside. Yeah. I believe, right. Can I point out, uh, Burger was in this match. I don't know if that was his gimmick, but there's a a, a gentleman from Dallas, oh, right? Who, who huge? I don't want to say fan because they worked, they they were colleagues, but had worked with Robert throughout his whole time in Dallas. Basically, just showed up to hang out with Robert to see Robert, right? Um, and yeah. just a very strange individual. You have to describe him <sighs> physically. He, he looks like um, almost, I'd say, like a what was the Bastion Booger gimmick before Bastion Booger? <laughs> I remember, the like, like Friar, yeah, because he has like the weird scarlet. Yeah. kind of thing going on he's a larger guy very unlikely just yeah but he was over like crazy but he, he was, was also, but he was like the crowd was like the crowd crazy. loved him yeah crazy for him but he was also extremely creepy yes also i i cannot move on from this without also noting that kyle hawk extremely creepy as well. Yes. So there are some creepy people in this match. Yeah. At the time, I don't think any of us suspected that Kyle Hawk was uh, going to be years later busted in a male prostitution yeah. ring, but that happened. Um, there was some, there, there are a lot of issues uh, to come with Kyle. Yeah. But um, we gave him a shot here. We had Berger here. We had Hayden here. James Claxton is a superstar as a general and making this match look yeah. amazing. But conceptually, it was over. It was a good battle royal. And really, the whole point of this battle royal was to make Barbie appear, in my book, to look really strong yep. and to be on par with the men because that's always what I wanted. And I want... we're going to need that going forward. Yeah. Um, also, Jeff Gant gets over as Blasphemer as a baby face yeah because it comes down to gant and claxton so that kind of lead into s- some stuff that happens next show yeah barbie um, goes far though here yeah she's final four yeah 
So I forget who the fourth is, but it's Gant, Claxton, Barbie, and someone else. Maybe Eric Shadows. We used to always put Eric in that position. Yeah. But uh, she almost she almost goes over. We tease her actually almost winning, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. That's right. And then Claxton eliminates her and Gant's still around. They go for a little bit longer. Yeah, but people went nuts when they thought Barbie had it but that's not that wasn't the case we kind of yanked that out from under the fans the fans it, it, it got barbie quite a bit of of uh pe- people were excited about this match it, yeah it, it went well and she she was ascending at this point so um very important before we get into this we had teased on the nwa road trip show that we had come up with a gimmick and i think this is the right time to go into that gimmick okay so during that road trip from start to finish, we played around with the idea of a character. And well, I'm just going to say it. The character is what becomes the Red Scare. Yeah. So we kind of came up with it was started as what if we did kind of like a Rorschach type character. Yeah. Right. And then we just kind of added throughout the entire trip little pieces and details. <clears throat> uh, so we went with a entirely red the hood originally was supposed to be a a red hood, like the Batman. Yeah. Red hood. So we had issues with our first mask maker. So I went in a completely different direction for this, for the hood. And I tried to get a local seamstress to do the hood. And it was nowhere near being ready. So we ended up getting one of the, like... I don't know how to describe it. It's like it. a stocking mask. It, yeah. It, it has no features. It's featureless. It's, it's just a, a blank face, which I think really ended up looking pretty cool. That lays the uh, the groundwork. That's the character that we basically workshopped throughout this entire trip to Houston from, at, what is that, episode four? Yeah, I mean, you hate you hate this kind of shit, but I feel like there was... Yeah, I times, love this one, yeah, though, yeah. This was great. This was, I was into this. I'm, this is also right up my alley as far as history type stuff so yeah um so we go into we have two undefeated uh characters in a no disqualifications match i believe yeah at this point and it's it's, it's, it's depression exciting. versus these, james yeah, yeah we've built these two characters up and we've got our monster great depression and we have gregory james who is has got this more sinister you know uh, persona uh at, at the moment um it's interesting because we have this monster versus this kind of evil character and um, this is also, I believe, a number one contendership yes, it is. Uh, match to see who will face uh, Mike Dell at the next show. Or the champion. We don't know if Dell wins yet. Oh, yeah, of course. Spoiler alert. Sorry, guys. Just... So, uh, James wins the match uh, after the Great Depression makes his debut with the returning Penny Arcade, um, which gets a huge reaction. Uh, really cool to see the crowd kind of recognize who she is. And then she's with this new person. There's kind of a gasp in the crowd. Uh, really cool reaction to a new character. was very happy do with we, that. Do we reveal who played? Sh- sure. Okay. I mean, this um, it's going to become important because this is actually the first time that we get to have uh, Steve Arino on the show. Yeah. Steve-O Steve so, Steve played the Red Scare. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Um, so that and, did, and, and this did actually, Yeoman's work, and this actually also plays into an angle that never was fulfilled. So we'll get to that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Penny Arcade showed up. I was really sad by how Penny, who was played by my friend Leda Genestra of the band Crooked Bangs, was treated backstage. In fact, ultimately her treatment led her not wanting to come back. Yeah. Um, a lot of people seem to have good advice for her. That wasn't that good. Yeah. But was just, their own good advice. Yeah. Um, but she was phenomenal. I cannot say enough good things about her. She really captured the, the imaginations of the, fa- of the fans. Uh, she was a beloved character. And in fact, to this day, people still ask when, if ever, is she coming back? And it's been years yeah. since 2014. She was, yeah. Is when this and show it's was. 2020 and people still yeah. are asking whatever happened to Penny Arcade. So... Uh, from that, James picks up the victory, but there's just this super weird horror film type interaction with with the Red Scare and Depression. Um, so we we planted some seeds there that that story's not over. Nope. 
So we go into JoJo versus Matthew Palmer. This is Matthew Palmer's first uh, singles match with us. At this point, JoJo as a baby face is on fire. Jo- JoJo is a super baby. And uh, just to kind of remind people, at the last show, uh, Palmer debuted as mm-hmm. Void and essentially cost JoJo a contendership match. Yep. So this explains why this match is happening. That set up this match. And it's uh, we, we know that we're going to get gold out of these guys. Yeah. And yeah, this is this is JoJo and Palmer. I mean, I I don't want to say this is the the peak of their careers, but they're both on fire at this point. Yeah. The match is really good, uh, and Palmer is victorious, which gets Palmer some steam and builds JoJo up some more sympathy. You'll see going forward Absolutely. the next few shows. And in and in a way, I love this because it also ties into JoJo and Evans having some business together from yes. a few shows ago. So. We're definitely building history here. A lot of this, a lot of the first cards were really about world building and, and uh, capitalizing on the history, however limited it was, you know, at this point. And from here we go into Ricky Starks and James Claxton. Which we built up earlier in the show, right? Yes, sir. So. And we're really, you know, with Ricky in mind, you know, Ricky was a guy that I saw being... Not used to his fullest potential, let's just say, in ACW. He was like one of the guys who was on my short list of people that I really wanted to build. And I think you and I really had uh, a yeah. lot of... a lot of. Uh... I've said, Rick, if there is a main character <clears throat> of the first few years, honestly, the first five or six years, yeah. it's Ricky Starks. Yeah, Ricky, Ricky's great here. So, And Ricky Starks is victorious over Claxton. Uh, we have seeds for a Starks-Dell match if we need to pull that card out. That's our kind of, you know, back pocket type um, match at this moment. Um, and this match exceeded my expectations, I think. I think I knew it would be good. Yeah. But this is really good. They were, yeah. Yeah. I mean, is... if you looking back on it, this match is the type of match that Ricky really excels in. Yeah. And then Claxton's just extremely solid, so. Um, and Claxton is a big guy, and so yeah. Ricky really does read as the underdog here. And I don't think I think I think it's fair to say that Ricky Starks, overall in the business, is one of the best sellers I've ever seen. Yes, and he's not quite there yet with this, but you can see it here. Oh yeah, there's hints of it. Yeah, there's hints of it, and he is he is phenomenal here in terms of just making you think that he is getting killed. Yeah. So then we go into. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So on the last show, um, I was ready to murder ACH. Uh, Max intervened, and during the Sammy Guevara match, he picks out ACH. Funny enough, as me and and Albert and Max are talking about how great ACH versus Sammy would be, how much he wants to work him, and magically Sammy, as he's known to do, grabs a live mic and calls out ACH. So. We have this naturally set up match between these two highly gifted high flyers. Even today, this match would mean yes an incredible amount. And, this is yeah. this was we we did this and Ugh. boy howdy it was a great match. It was also not the match that I thought we would get. Yeah, it was how long? It was forty five fucking minutes max. <laughs> it was forty five so. minutes. Uh, and it was a lot of building and building and building. It, it it's yeah. basically the story where Sammy. I feel like isn't really giving us he it's almost like he's saying I don't have to 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 flip around and do this crazy shit to like beat this guy cuz I'm better than I'm better yeah. than ACH. This is very much it's 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 a very different match. It is not the high flying crazy move set that we're you know we thought we get. It's 45 minutes yeah. of building until everything just kind of and blows, blows up. up. Yeah. So, and here's what I'm dealing with in the back. Oh, so man. this show is, is already going a bit long and I have Mike Dell and Franco D'Angelo that are the main event and they are losing their fucking you, minds. You periodically could hear out in the crowd, yeah. Mike Dell screaming, God damn it. Yeah. He is screaming. He's, he's losing. He's his fucking, livid. Yeah. He is pissed. I don't think that there was anything that Franco and Dell could have done to top this. No. But they were sold that because it went 45 minutes, they weren't going to be able to. And here's the deal. They're like, can we, do we just run out and stop it? And the issue is the match is really fucking good. Yeah. So like, I hate to publicly fucking say this, but this, fuck, this is... if you're going to go long, it better be fucking good. Right. Yeah. And um, it was good. So it's like, eh, 
Now I'm sure they'll finish up here pretty soon. That's this this still, sure finish this up. still still like we got we got a fan question asking us like what our top five matches yeah. would be. This is easily for me in the top five because it was one of those revelatory moments where you know you have lightning in a bottle and that you're having these like yeah like really insanely so, good so on this show we have heart. ACH and Sammy and Ray Rowe versus Robert Evans on the same show yeah. it's, we're just this is where the expectations have been been raised to right yeah so I mean a phenomenal match ACH gets the victory it becomes extremely important to ACH to give that victory back to Sammy at some point and that'll play in later on. Um, and, I mean, it's almost, we have to talk about it, but, like, yeah. Del and Franco literally becomes an afterthought because how do you follow that? Yeah. I And, you know, it's their first, it's their first title. It's, yeah. it's Mike Dell's first title defense, so, you know, you kind of have to put that at the top of the card. Yeah. Uh, because because that's, that's important. I don't think anybody anticipated that, I mean, I don't know what, do you know what time? 20. Okay. See, that's the thing too. Is yeah. A lot of time when you're, when, when you set up the card, you give people times yeah. and you expect them to stick to them. <laughs> uh, Not and, double them. Yes. And this is, this went, this went way over more than half of what, what we, yeah. what we gave them. Anyway, <laughs> into Mike Dell yeah. <clears throat> defending the title against Franco D'Angelo. Yeah, I mean, it. I don't think that it was outside of um, what you would expect it to be, honestly. It was it was a solid little match, but fuck, after, after ACH and Sammy, a solid little match kind of becomes forgettable in a, a sad way. Story-wise, I think it really, um, it was, it was a great match. Yes. Um, I really, I think, I think it was, it was well wrestled. I thought we saw Dell and Franco in a lot of ways work very hard following yes. the previous match. I think that that was something it, it that's you, the thing that I always wanted out of Dell. You can't say they didn't bust their ass because no. they went out there and no. busted their I, ass. I personally loved the match. Yeah. I, I learned a few things from this show in terms of what to do, what not to do, your yeah. card placement, that sort of thing. But um Yeah, dude. It was <laughs> It, it it was a it was a great defense, but uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a tough tough night uh, in many respects. Me and Evans butting heads. Yeah. Del Del Del, <laughs> Del and Franco losing their fucking minds over yeah. uh, Sammy and Albert going long. Uh, but overall, I thought this was a great show coming off of Ecstasy of Gold, which was just yeah. a phenomenal. A, a flagship event, if you will. Yeah. And from there, it's time to bust out the mops and the brooms. Yeah, we clear everybody out, and uh, we get to we get to chatting over uh, over cleaning agents. Uh, anyway, thanks for joining us for this episode, and we will be back uh, next week covering no room to die. No room to die. No room to die. Thanks. <laughs>